I've really been intrigued and, and blessed by the lessons that we've had, talking about the kingdom of God and the elements that it's comprised of and our responsibilities to it and our opportunities with it. But I'd like to talk about the King tonight. I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart that we should talk about the King, our King, of this everlasting kingdom. And the Lord has laid on my heart a primary Scripture that is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 23. I'd like to start and read through verse 36 as the primary text for this evening. John 12, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. I've read through verse 36. I, I found it intriguing as I sat in the classes and, and, and heard the the, the excellent uh, direction given the, each class by, by the teacher and the uh, great responses 
from those who were participating. I think it would have been not only a blessing but easy to be a teacher at, at camp this year. And that suggests not only the fact that there uh, is a good lesson series and qualified teachers, but I want to share with you a remark that someone made. I, I don't want to mention his name because I'm not sure it was he, but someone said, do you realize that one of the reasons that camp might be up in numbers and so intensely spiritual is because God knows there aren't going to be many more of them. That's something to think about. That's both exciting and sobering at, at the same time. But there I'm sitting as a, an old soldier and, and, and hearing all of these great things and rejoicing in them, and I became aware of something. And, and maybe it's just my, my own personal perception but particularly when we were talking about the apologetics for, for Christianity and, and how we need to be equipped with that and how we live in a world where challenges from everywhere come uh, that we ought to be equipped to respond to them, something became very clear to me, and that is that whether or not we are well-versed in the apologetics or extremely capable of articulating those is not as important. It is important. Don't go away and say, you know, Brother Bob said these things aren't important. Yes, they are. But I'll tell you what I think is more important than that, and that is that we tell the folks who are challenging the foundation stones of the Christian faith that our King is alive. And he's as able today as he ever was to meet the needs of men and women, young and old, and to perform miracles to prove whom he is. Remember, he said to those who listened to his teachings, if you're not going to believe what I say, then at least believe the works that you see me do. An insignificant work, perhaps, and Brother Brian, allow me to intrude a little bit on what you shared with us. Imagine uh, a, a, a brother and sister trying to sell their home in times when real estate was not moving, uh, when uh, they probably thought they were going to have to do a lot of things that, 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 that might prompt this thing to be attractive to somebody, and then they find somebody who comes whose name is Bill Miracle? No, uh, really, a buyer whose name is Bill Miracle. Brian asked the man, uh, do you like wildlife? Because we kind of live in a... We say, I love wildlife. And Brian says, you know what? I'm looking at my watch in exactly one hour. Four deer are going to come right across this backyard and go over in that woods over there. It might not be totally accurate, but that's the gist of it. And while he was yet speaking... Those four deer were exactly one hour early and paraded across the prospective buyer, who, by the way, is the owner of the place right now. Loved ones, we sell our king short. I, I, I know, I, I sincerely know that these scriptures talk when he said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, meant the death that he would die and that it would be forever the symbol of that supreme sacrifice that was sufficient 
to cover the sins of every man, woman, and child until the end of time. But to those who would argue with us, that's history. Oh, loved ones, I remember, it it has to be almost 40 years ago, working with a young Lebanese girl. And when I heard of of Brother Tony's brother in Lebanon, I I thought of this. And, and we worked in close proximity with each other, and we could, we could talk about things that pertain to faith. And she talked about her Muslim religion and her prophet Muhammad, and I talked about my Christian religion, and whom she said, uh, Jesus Christ was my prophet. And one morning, we were talking about it again, and she said, after, to, to culminate that short conversation, we did some work too, but to culminate short conversation, uh, she said, well, uh, our prophet Mohammed, I said, can I stop you for a minute? She said, yes. I said, where is he? What do you mean? He, he, he lived hundreds of years ago. Well, where is he? Well, he's in, in a tomb in a mosque. Some, she told me, I don't know exactly where. I said, well, and then she interrupted me, and she said, and you're going to tell me your prophet is alive. How do you know that? And I said, whatever her name was, I've forgotten. I said, I just talked to him before I came to work. Loved ones, our king's alive. We're not talking about history. I don't want to talk about apologetics, but I'll try in, in, in a feeble manner to do that if I ever get in a position where I must. But you see, all the apologetics and everything that we might be able to cleverly uh, respond to the, 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 the assaults of the evil one today that wants to uh, portray the fact that Christianity is, 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 is an, uh, a system for weak people, a people who need somehow to be led around by the nose, as it were. Tell them that your prophet is your Savior, and He's alive. And share with them the deer that are walking across the road. Share with them uh, the, 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 the marvelous things that, that may seem insignificant to some people that have been evidences of His life in your life, evidences of His taking such good care of you when you had no idea what you were going to do next. You see, it's not up to us to convince men that Christianity is right and Jehovah God is the one and only God. Oh, loved ones, if we only introduce them, if we can find a way to introduce them to our King, He will do that. I remember as a young apprentice at Westinghouse years ago, just comes to my mind right now, another opportunity years before I knew the Lebanese girl where we talked second shift, hot night, working on the same big die that was uh, as big as a refrigerator. It was a die that punched out refrigerators. And we were talking about faith and, and the matter of faith. And I brought my friend to a conclusion that Friday night. I said, you know what? I want to make you a deal. If you think, and he he had just said to me something like, and this is paraphrased, just said something like, uh, you know, it might be good for you, you know, but I don't know about me. And I said, I want you to do something. This is Friday night. Over this weekend sometime, get real serious 
in prayer with God and see if he doesn't respond. Because I knew he would. The Bible says he will. If with all your heart you truly seek me, ye shall ever surely find me, saith the Lord. And that was said in the old covenant, not the new. How much more is that true today since the king died on the cross? How much more is that true today that when he stood, I think it's in, in, in is it Matthew chapter 8, those last three verses where he says, and, and I can only imagine that impassioned plea, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Let me tell you, I know that there are people in this place tonight whose souls are eating them out. I know they are here experiencing what Brother Jimmy Gitch talked about the other night when he talked about the violence that this kingdom of God um, endures and those who participate in it. You want rest from all of that? Here's the place to get it. Talk to the king of this kingdom. And you know what? Came back Monday. I said, well, tell me something. What happened? Did you do that? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I'm afraid you're right. And he will speak to me. And then I'll be guilty. He said, man, you're guilty anyhow. It is to us a glorious opportunity, for us, a glorious opportunity to also lift him up. The historical evidence of His crucifixion is there, and of His resurrection is there. And, and the, the pundits, no matter what they want to do about it, aren't going to try to, to, to argue with that or negate the fact that it happened. But you see, when that can happen in the 21st century, in a circle of people somewhere, where one of His children, one of His citizens, one of His subjects is present and lifts him up, he has promised to draw all men unto him. That's not our, our job's not to convert. He'll do that, and he'll do it right, and he'll do it thoroughly, and he promised he will always do it to those who come to him with all their heart. That's a promise. And there are some here that might say, well, you know, I, I've been doing that for years. Uh, I, I, I've been seeking the Lord. Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't play hide-and-go-seek with anybody. You're not seeking Him for a long time because in the first place, He's looking for you before you ever look for Him. And some of you will experience that tonight. You will know that tonight is the day of your visitation. You will know that. I am sure that will be the case with you. And then you will be, like my friend didn't want to be, accountable to decide, who is this man, this God-man? Was he really who he said he was? Remember the de Well, it wasn't a debate. It was a dialogue when Jesus said to his disciples, I think it was after it was when the 70 came back or whatever, said, to, who do folks say that I am? What, what, what do you hear with your ear to the ground out there? And some say, oh, some say Elias is here, and some say a great prophet is among us. And then he brought the punchline down to the level of those disciples of his who had to make an expression 
of how they felt about him. Who do you say I am? And you know what? Everybody in this room tonight will decide who he is. Everybody. You have to. You cannot do otherwise. And those who say, I'm I'm not ready to do this, I'm going to evade the issue, forget it. You've made a decision to turn him away. And it might be the last time you have an opportunity to do that. Now, the youngsters are up with Brother Scott, and they are in good hands with the Spirit of God and Brother Scott Kittleberger. But I want to talk to the parents that are here tonight. You have a major responsibility in determining how sincerely and, and, and how soon, I also believe, your children will acknowledge the Lord. I was, I was thrilled when in a class this week, the brother who was leading it said, he read uh, the, the, the account of when Joshua uh, brought the people of Israel to a decision when he said, and as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. And he said, that says to me as a father that it, God expects more from me than just saying, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. He will ask me how well or how less well I led my house to the knowledge of salvation. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a demonstrative person. I almost stood up and said, hallelujah, but I didn't. It's not appropriate in our circles. And, you know, parents react differently. They do. I remember some years ago, uh, I, I was counseling, actually walking along uh, and counseling a young lady of about 14 years old, and uh, I didn't know who her mother was until about not more than 10 minutes later when she came up to me and said, Brother Bob, I, I noticed that you were talking with my daughter. I said, yes, sister, I, I was. She said, well, I just want you to know, uh, don't take things too seriously. You know, after all, she's only 14, and, and, I, said, and, and I interrupted her. I, I don't interrupt very often, not intentionally, but I do sometimes intentionally, and I did this time. I said, Sister, let me stop you, and let me say to you that if I would tell you half the things your 14-year-old daughter told me, your lovely long hair would stand straight up. And anybody who has a pedigree like that at 14 needs to not only be listened to, but taken by the hand and let out of that cesspool. Oh, oh my. And then she was really concerned. Loved ones, God needs fathers and mothers who, who, who do more than just build a hedge around their children. And I thank God that they have. And one way a father and a mother can lift up Christ in their home is, first of all, be Christ-like themselves, to show to their children by what they do how believers' lives ought to be prioritized to honor and glorify God. And to not simply say, uh, you know, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't associate with folks with th- th- that do, and that ought to be enough for you because I said so. That doesn't fly today, if in fact it ever did. Oh, in my day, if, 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 if I was a bit out of line and my father just winked at me, I knew exactly what that meant. Uh, time out or over, or both. 
But that's not the way it is today. And it's not the children's fault. They're taught to, to, to challenge everything that they hear and, and see. You know, you used to say, uh, believe only, how is it? Nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. And now with this crazy photography, I can end up with green hair. And I don't have enough white anymore either. And so there's nothing really real anymore excepting what is part of this kingdom and our living king expects of us. That's real. And the benefits of that are out of this world, but also in this world. If, if, if I would be a young person today, I probably would eagerly come to the Master, much more so than I did when I was young, for the benefits that I would have as a Christian in today's mixed-up, dying, imploding world. Forgetting about eternal life, perhaps, as, as, as the bonus, but I need Christ to live every day a life that is not only surviving, but a life that is thriving and full of joy and peace and love and comfort and long-suffering and all those wonderful gifts of the Spirit of God. Loved ones, we need to make that attractive to our children. We need to do much more than just tell them, watch out here and watch out there and don't do this and don't do that. And then when, you, when, when they're out of our sight, we wonder, where are they? What's happening? Loved ones, if they're in the hollow of God's hand, we don't need to worry about that at all. Oh, I had a sister back home, had 16 children. And she was a farm lady. And she uh, came to Christ as an old woman. And I remember Brother Betts uh, taking her testimony and said to her, uh, Katie, now tell me, why did it take all of these years to come to the Lord? And she said, I never had time before. And with 16 children, we all believe that from the human point of view. But then he said, why now? Oh, she said, you know, now they're, they're scattered all over the world. I can't keep track of them anymore. Some were in the army. Some were in combat. And, and she said, I finally came to the point, Lord, I got to give this whole family over to you. You're the only one that knows where they are. You're the only one that knows how they are. And I'm going to trust you to do that. And I'm going to become your child so I can believe that. And Katie Carbula became a faithful, loving sister of, in, in the Lord. You see, we can't even begin to count the benefits that accrue to us because He is our King. And, and the reason I say that is, and I say it for myself first, because I'm still not plugging in always to all of those benefits. Those benefits accrue to us only if we take them out of the bag or whatever you want to call where they are, out, out of the vials in heaven where things are stored. I don't know. I, I can't uh, visualize that with the gray matter of mine that's growing old and, and a bit disjointed dis, uh, sometimes. But I do know that in many ways, loved ones, all of us, because of our lack of faith or uh, lack of, of, of uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with faith. Don't want other word to use. That God is interested in everything that affects our lives, and there is nothing that He is not concerned about. And you know, with me, it often is that, that I, I be, begin sometimes to even rationalize away the thing that God has done so marvelously 
in my life. I shared it with a class uh, the, the other day, or was it today? I don't know. One day's like the other when you get three score and ten past. Driving down a curvy road at night, road I knew very well, uh, dark, and all of a sudden something said to me, careful, around this next bend are deer in the road, which was often the case. And I slowed down. Went around the bend, and there they were, three of them right in the middle of the road. And I slowed down, and once they got out of my lights and moved away, first thought in my mind was, isn't intuition a wonderful thing? Loved ones, that was the guardian angel, the Spirit of God, one of the ministering spirits of my living King who was watching out for me. And I give something as, pardon the expression, stupid as intuition the credit for it. I believe we would see grander and greater and more miracles than we have ever seen before if we could always go to God first with all of our problems. We, we prayed for a, a, a man two years younger than his older brother that's with us here who, who, who's in Lebanon. I'll tell you, the power of that united prayer is going to startle everybody in that family. I believe it. We've seen it, loved ones. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous avails much. Why? Because this king has all the resources of heaven to meet our needs. And he's waiting to pour them out to those who not only need them and those that want them, but quite particularly to those who expect that God can do something about that. Miracles happen all the time. Had a, a young couple that lived uh, in our house at the lake, the, uh, the garage. There was a lovely apartment above a three-car garage. And they became like, like, like our kids almost, although they were a little older. No, they weren't about the age of our children, I guess. Uh, they were childless, and all of a sudden came down one, uh, the, he came down one day, and he said, you know, where's Leona? Got to tell you something. And I, I thought, oh, my, they're moving. Oh, we're going we're gonna to lose these, these. We loved them uh, like our own. And uh, so I said, well, she's, she's taking a shower right now, but come down in 10 minutes. And they both came down, and neither knew how to start. And then they said, like they do today, we're pregnant. You know, it used to be that she was. And now we are. And that's fine. We got to take some responsibility for that too. But, but, but the fact is that they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. And so were we. And, and we were so happy with them. And ultimately, we moved away. Not they. We moved away. And one night, uh, a Tuesday night, I believe it was, a frantic call from the young mother-to-be. Uh, and I, I heard Leona was in bed reading. Leona reads a couple of books a week, and so some of that has to be done while I'm not sleepy yet. And so she goes to bed and she, 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 she reads. And I knew by, 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 by the vibes that came from my wife's voice that something really difficult was going on. And she called. Uh, when, when, when the call was finished, she said, you know what? That was, uh, what's her name? I've forgotten it. And... Uh, She's terribly distressed. She had just been to a prenatal uh, clinic, and she was told that her babies share a single embryonic sac, and the 
usual situation that results is at least one baby dies, sometimes both do. Her husband was in Chicago because he was actually working uh, out, of, out of the apartment and, and his home office was in, in, in Chicago. She couldn't talk to him, so she called Leona. And she said, uh, you know, we know you're going to go to church tomorrow night. Will you pray for us? And Leona assured her, because the Lord assured Leona that God was going to work a miracle. And she said, you know what? We're not only going to pray tomorrow night, but you can expect God to respond favorably. She's not a prophet. I don't think so. She, she comes real close to it sometimes. I don't think that was a prophetical thing at all. I think that was just a matter of faith that she really believed, and God gave her a conviction that He was going to be glorified in the lives of these two young parents-to-be because up till then, it was pretty hard to talk about even God with them. They kind of withdrew the moment we, we did. And all of you who want to reach others for Christ from time to time know what I mean by that. And we did pray. Uh, the church, of course, was in session. I shared the, the, the thing with them. We got on our knees and we besought Almighty God to, to, do, to do a miracle. Got a call after the next prenatal visit. Uh, and the, the woman was scarcely at home and she called and said, you know what? Uh, they've decided that was completely wrong, that, that these babies are, do have their own embryonic sacs, and everything's going to be fine. Now I ask you, was the first diagnosis wrong? No, I don't think so. Not at all. I believe God changed things between the first and the second, because our King is alive, and we have evidence all around us. If we have faith enough to put our feet in a water, as, as, as the priest had to at the Red Sea, to see the glory of God. And that's what I'm going to say to the next person that wants to take me to task. And I'm not sure I know all the apologetics rules. I'm going to take him or her as close as I can to this king of mine that is alive and say, and now you challenge him, and I know he will respond to you, and then you are guilty to make a decision, are out of the realm of being able to brush him off again because he is going to converse with you, not me. He is going to reason with you, not me. Leave me completely out of it. And you know what I can do next time my friend comes back? I can say, don't blame me, blame God. And don't blame God, blame yourself. God gives you the direction that He knows you need to take and the things you need to do and the violence that needs to happen in your life. God knows that. And, and mom and dad, I want to say to you that when these children come home and they're struggling uh, with, 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 with the, the spiritual warfare that's going on in their soul, don't pity them. Don't say, oh, honey, come here. It's let them alone with God because He and He alone needs to know how all of this needs to take place so that the sin that separates them from God can be eradicated by the blood of Christ 
and old things will pass away and they will become new. Pray for them. Pray with them. But let them struggle with God. It's all part of learning to know how great God is. But assure them, loved ones, assure them that the victory is assured because the Lord has promised it. My word will never return to me void. He will never reject a heart that comes to Him with with, with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind. There is no bondage known to man that cannot be broken by our eternal King, and He has guaranteed it. Tell them that. Tell them to persevere. Tell them to rest in a little longer like Jacob did of old when the angel came and wrestled with him and disjointed his thigh. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Do you know what I tell souls that, 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 that counsel with me? Uh, and, and they've come to me really sincerely, even for the first time. I say to them, and I believe by authority of the Word of God, if you remain sincere and honest with God like you are tonight, even if you die tonight, God will receive you. But the moment it becomes second place in your life, and you stand still or you turn your back, on that small, still voice that now has become a raging discourse between the prince of the darkness of this world and our living king. No man or woman can ever be the same again. None of them. But no man and no woman can ever be made as free or whole or glad or fulfilled than that which happens when this raging conflict is over. And the evil one packs up his demons in his bags, and he goes to find somebody else. Because not only does he know he lost, not only does he know that the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago that caused him so much trouble, he could, he could have him slain. He could lay him in a tomb. But he couldn't keep him there. And so it is in your lives, my friends, outside of Christ. And parents, even believing parents, know this. That if they sincerely want to tell the devil to go packing, they don't want to serve them anymore. He cannot keep them. Because greater is he in them now than he that is in the world. Loved ones. Lift up Christ in your home, in your church, in the conversations that you have. Tell them about the deer that were an hour early. Let them, let them deal with that for a while. Tell them about those little Ebenezers that were not little to you at all because they were the manifestation of an act of Almighty God and who can do that and does that because He lives. He's not in a tomb somewhere. He lives, and he, and he waits. He, he delights in opening up the very windows of heaven and pouring out blessings to his children. May the Lord bless his word.